Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82. A Psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Hello, my name is Kennard Brown. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. Today is August 21st, 2010, as we head to the peak of the hurricane season. Uh, We need to ask Almighty God for... Mercy and compassion, uh, because this could be, I know the experts at AccuWeather are predicting this to be a dandy of a hurricane season. But, of course, God has mercy, and we need to pray for mercy, because I tell you, the way we are sinning collectively right now, we need his mercy right now. So please pray that um, tremendous hurricanes will be avoided this year. Second of all, I want to address something that I must reveal here about a significant New York Times article about the depression or the third depression by award-winning author Paul Krugman. This is dated June 27, 2010. He states here that this is from the New York Times. Recessions are common, depressions are rare. As far as I can tell, there were only two eras in economic history that were widely described as depressions at the time. The years of deflation and instability that followed the Panic of 1873, and the years of mass unemployment that followed the financial crisis of 1929 to 1931. Neither the Long Depression of the 19th century nor the Great Depression of the 20th was an era of nonstop decline. On the contrary, both included periods when the economy grew. But these episodes of improvement were never enough to undo the damage from the initial slump and were followed by relapses. We are now, I fear, in the early stages of a third depression. Let me underscore and repeat this. We are now, I fear, in the early stages, the early stages of a third depression. Again, let me repeat this. We are now, I fear, in the early stages, the very early stages of a third depression it will probably look more like the Long Depression than the much more severe Great Depression, but the cost to the world economy and, above all, to the millions of lives blighted by the absence of jobs. 
will nonetheless be immense. And this third depression will be primarily a failure of policy. Around the world, most recently at last weekend's deeply discouraging G20 meeting, which is a meeting of the uh, world's uh, most financially sound countries, uh, governments are obsessing about inflation when the real threat is deflation, preaching the need for belt tightening when the real problem is inadequate spending. All right, so I'm not going to read this entire article. Feel free to research this article yourself on Google by simply typing in the third depression. Uh, New York Times and Google should um, actually provide a link to the article on their search engine. But ladies and gentlemen, I've been warning now for the past, I think, year that we need to tighten our belts, that we need to understand that we really are have entered the beginning stages of the third seal in the book of Revelation. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 3. And when you have uh, newspapers like the New York Times, is one of the most respected newspapers in the world, state that, then we need to pay attention. Uh, Revelation chapter 6, starting in verse, and let me find it here, third seal, verse 5. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see, and I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil or the wine. And that is the situation that we're under, ladies and gentlemen, right now, that he states that he thinks... Uh, uh, Krugman, he thinks that our problem is uh, deflation, the Bible prophecy state here, inflation. And the description that I have here in the King James Study Bible that I'm reading, it says that there is still represents inflation and famine, because prices have gone up since this crisis began. The balances of scales are related to commerce and trade, economics or socioeconomics. The word penny, better transliterated, denarius, represented about one day's wages. Wheat and barley were considered necessities of life. A measure was about one quart. The price given is about ten times what was normal. That's inflation. The command, hurt not the oil and the wine, may indicate a restriction on the effects of the famine in this early part of the tribulation. So that his, that's his uh, little um, interpretation of that. But basically this prophecy is revealing that we are... Be going, we're going through worldwide inflation, and that is what's going on right now, ladies and gentlemen, as I speak. And it's only going to get worse. So we have to prepare for the worst. Now, I'm looking in my dictionary of finance and investment terms for deflation. Uh, deflation is a decline in the prices of goods and services. Deflation is the reverse of inflation. It should not be confused with disinflation. <laughs> which is a slowing down in the rate of price increases. Generally, the economic effects of deflation are the opposite of those produced by inflation with two noticeable exceptions. Prices that increase with inflation do not necessarily decrease with deflation. Union wage rates, for example. Number two, while inflation may or may not stimulate output and unemployment, marked deflation has always affected both negatively. So I see where he's going with that. But right now, I would state that we're under an inflationary um, atmosphere right now as far as the global economy all right and I might as well go ahead and look up inflation 
instance, I have this in front of me. Inflation is the rise in the prices of goods and services as happens when spending increases relative to the supply of goods on the market. In other words, too much money chasing too few goods. That's what inflation is, too much money chasing too few goods. Moderate inflation is a common result of economic growth. Hyperinflation, which price is rising at 100% a year or more, causes people to lose confidence in the currency and put their assets in hard assets like real estate or gold, which usually retain their value in inflationary times. So those are the times that we're in, ladies and gentlemen. We need to pay attention and we need to prepare. And I have uh, given numerous Bible studies, well, a few anyway, on that, uh, how do we prepare for the times ahead and these other Bible studies that I've given prior to this uh, should give you the proper information on how to prepare for uh, this. I think I have one Bible study on the seven seals of Revelation where I do cover what we need to do to prepare for these things. Um, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. Let me turn to that scripture here real quick and realize that Christ did uh, compare these days to the days of Noah. And you look at uh, Luke chapter 17 for that. But let me just quote this scripture, and then we're going to get into the topic today of this Bible study, which is the mind of Christ, or how to think like Christ, because we are commanded to, to do that. All right, Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 7. It says, By faith Noah, being warned of God, things not seen as yet, moved with fear. So we don't see all the catastrophic events that the Bible is predicting. However, Noah, since he understood what faith or trust, that's a better word for it, Hebraically, trust, he trusted God. And he didn't see all these things, but he believed that they would happen. He prepared an ark to the saving of his house or family by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. And righteousness is keeping God's commandments, Psalm 119, verse 172. So, we should also do the same as Noah prepare for the worst, ladies and gentlemen. Isaiah chapter 26 states this. Isaiah chapter 26. Starting at verse 20. Come, my people, enter into your chambers or your residences and shut your doors about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation be overpassed. Why? Verse 21, For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity or sin. Colon, continue the thought. The earth also shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. So that's a future prophecy, ladies and gentlemen, that for those living on the earth right now, we should prepare for for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. And I hope you are one of them. Okay, so let's get into the Bible study, The Mind of Christ. Uh, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to read this in the King James Version, and I'm going to read it in, in another version so we can understand what this is talking about. So, Because this is very important. Uh, people that claim that they believe Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Well, we're going to see today, uh, if we do believe in Jesus, that we need to think like him and we need to uh, imitate him. But he is our ultimate example. He is the perfect man that we need to follow. And I mean follow, step by step, and do all the things that he did. I don't mean uh, put yourself on a cross and, and put a nail in your hand, but we should be willing to sacrifice our lives if that's, if that's what's going to take. If that's, if it's, I'm sorry, if, that's, if that is what we need to do 
to make it into the kingdom, he requires us also to sacrifice our lives. Sorry for the not being clear. <clears throat> anyway, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. I have to slow down sometime and just talk so fast. All right. Now, in the King James Version, this significant verse in the Bible states, For who have known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we, the people of God, the true believers of God, have the mind of Christ. Now, let's look up that word mind and find out what it means in the original Greek. It means N-O-O-C-E, news, I guess. And it means the intellect, thought, feeling. So we should have the, the, the thoughts of Christ. We should have his sentiments or feelings or his will. His very intellect. That's significant, ladies and gentlemen. That is very significant. If we become a believer of Jesus Christ, Yeshua Messiah, then he will give us access to his intelligence, how he feels, and his will. And we should also think like him and do the things that he does. So let, let's keep that in mind because we have people today even believing the great lie that the devil has created that the law has been done away with, uh, the Torah, uh, you don't have to keep the Sabbath, so forth. Well, we're going to find out, did Yeshua or Jesus actually think that way in the first century? And more important than that, does he still think that way today? We're going to answer those questions using the Bible. All right. So we know that we are supposed to think like Christ. All right. We are supposed to think like him. So we understand that significance. Let's also turn to John chapter 14 to understand this further here. John chapter 14. Actually, I was going to read that verse in another version. If Let me see. The complete Jewish Bible version states, For who has known the mind of Adonai, the Lord? Who will counsel him? But we have the mind of the Messiah. Okay, and the contemporary English version states, The scriptures ask, Has anyone ever known the thoughts of the Lord or given him advice? But we understand what Christ is thinking. Okay, that's that translation. And then um, the Bible in basic English, For who has knowledge of the mind of the Lord so as to, as to be his teacher? But we have the mind of Christ. Again, the emphasis is on the mind, having his thinking like him. So several verses confirm that. For... Uh, versions of the verse. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That's in the New American Standard Bible version. And then the, um, yeah, that, that has the same translation here, the uh, English Standard Version. It says, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So that that translation is accurate about having the mind of Christ or the mind of the Messiah. We should have the mind of the Messiah. We should think like him. And why should we? Let's turn to John 14, verse 6. This should answer that question. John 14, verse 6. John 14, verse 6 states the following in the King James Version. Jesus said unto him, I am the way. We're going to analyze each of these words here. The way, the truth, and the life. So he's all of those three elements, ladies and gentlemen. And he states that no man comes into the Father, the only true God, the, the top God, okay, 
the God that was here before everyone else, but by me. So that's a pretty strong statement, ladies and gentlemen. That pretty much puts away all other religions other than Christianity, or should I say true Christianity. John 14, verse 6 is a very significant scripture. And the contemporary English version, it states, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Without me, no one can go to the Father. So our ultimate goal is to go into the Father, to be in his presence, to be with him. But for us to be able to be with him, we have to go through Yeshua or we need his help. The Bible in basic English states, Jesus said to him, I am the true and living way. No one comes to the Father but by me. That is a better translation there. It says, I am the true and living way. So the way he lived his life is the way you're supposed to live. That's what he's telling us. Uh, New American Standard Bible Version states, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's in the uh, English Standard Version. The Scriptures uh, Version which is a Hebraic version of the Bible. It puts the Hebraic background to it. Uh, it says to me, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So these, these are some very... Now let's look at the, what the words mean here. Let's break this down. Now, the way. The Greek word for, for way is hotos, H-O-D-O-S, hotos, and, and it means progress the mode or the means. So he is the progress. He is the journey. He is the means. Truth. And we know what truth means, right? It means truth. <laughs> and and also the Bible defines what truth is. In, in Psalm 119, verse 142, um, it states that the Torah is the truth, the teachings of God is the truth, but Yeshua is the word of God. So, of course, the Word of God is going to be true. So, of course, he's truth as well. If we turn to Psalm 119, Psalm 119, verse uh, 172, no, not 172, 142, it states here, Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law, of Torah. Now, you see law in the Old Testament means Torah, which is the teachings of God. Uh, it means uh, the truth. Thy law, the Torah, is the truth. That's what it says. So we, we need to understand that that um, all his teachings is the truth. All of his teachings are the tr is the truth. And it says here in a contemporary English version Bible, it says, you will always do right and your teachings are true. That's a pretty good uh, translation there. Uh, in the complete Jewish Bible version, your righteousness is, is your righteousness is eternal righteousness, and your Torah is truth. Uh, Yeshua is the living Torah; He's the living Word of God. So, of course, He is the truth. So, let's go back to John chapter 14, verse 6, which is a pretty significant scripture that I don't think too many people realize the significance of, but it's very, 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 um, very, very, very significant. And then when you look at the scripture above, it states, Thomas states here, uh, I think it's Doubting Thomas here, Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whether you go, and how can we know the way? And he says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. So he is 
our example. Don't let anyone deceive you otherwise, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, and the life. Let's look that up. Life means literally life. Okay, so Yeshua is our ultimate example, ladies and gentlemen. Now, remember that. Remember that. Okay. So we know that he is our ultimate example, and we also know we know that he's a part of God because he's the word of God in Ephesians, and he is God because of that, because he's a part of the whole God picture. Ephesians chapter 5 states this. It states that we ought to imitate God. Verse 1, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Okay, so we must follow God, and we must follow his example. And so, for an example, God did rest on the Sabbath day, revealed in Genesis chapter 2. That means that we also need to rest, despite what uh, many ministers deceive people, and might probably perhaps deceiving themselves into thinking that the Shabbat should be celebrated on Sunday. Uh, and that's not true. Because Jesus did not change the law. He stated that. And in Ephesians 5, verse 1, it says, Let it then be your desire to be like God. Well, God keeps the Sabbath, and he keeps his own holy days that he created, or else he would be a hypocrite. So we also keep those days. And Ephesians 5, verse 1, in the contemporary English version, says, Do as God does. After all, you are his dear children. So children are supposed to emulate the character of their father. And the complete Jewish Bible version, so imitate God as his dear children. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Ephesians 5, verse 1, in the English Standard Version Bible, the New American Standard Version of the Bible, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. So, you know, that that's another significant scripture, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Now... I don't know if many people understand or realize this, and I need to really be quick here about quoting the rest of these scriptures in 36 minutes, but I, I will do that. Um, these scriptures are going to give you a, a pretty good model or, or paradigm of the real Jesus Christ, what he had to go through and how he, how he thought in the first century and how he continues to think today. Now, in John chapter 7, verse 7. Oh, another thing. Let me quote another scripture. Before I begin this, by uh, this uh, quoting these other scriptures here, Hebrews uh, 13 verse 8, and this is a significant scripture. We, we must understand this because many people think that that Christ changed the law and he didn't, or he changed his way of life. He did not. Hebrews 13 verse 8 states this: it says Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. So the Jesus Christ in the first century is still a Jew today. He still thinks the same. He has not changed the way he thinks about things. All right? So that means that he still keeps the Sabbath today. He still keeps the holy days like he did when he was a human on the earth. This scripture confirms that. Hebrews 13, verse 8. And another scripture states the fact that he lives in us. Now, if he's living in us, then he's going to be keeping the holy days <laughs> and the Shabbat or the Sabbath just like he did in the first century. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 20. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. 
states this, uh, if we have the mind of Christ, we're going to think like him and we're going to do as he did. And he's going to live in us to help us do those things that he did, that he continues to do today. Uh, Galatians 2, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me, his spirit, the spirit of God, which has the feelings and sentiments and intelligence of Jesus Christ. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith or the trust of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So if Christ is going to live in you spiritually, then he's going to be keeping those holy days that he kept in the first century, as confirmed by Hebrews 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is saying yesterday, today, and forever. That is the easiest way to understand that the law, that the Torah, cannot be destroyed, and is not destroyed. And that all of mankind, not just the Jews, must keep that law in order to have salvation. Uh, John chapter 7, verse 7. says, the world cannot hate you, but me it hates, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. So I get this a lot when I try to correct people. Uh, more times than not, people will get angry at me, because I, I, I'm revealing their wickedness, but they don't want to hear it. And I understand exactly what he, what he went through here in the first century, because Christ does live in me. I think like him. I have his intelligence, not all of it, but <laughs> some of it, okay? And I can tell when people resist the power of God, the Holy Spirit. I can tell I have that ability because he's given that to me. Uh, Matthew 5, verse 17. Matthew 5, verse 17. Well, I hope to have all of it eventually. I know I'm growing into having it, his intelligence. Matthew 5, I'm just being humble about it. Matthew 5, verse 17 states this. Think not that I have come to destroy the law of the prophets. So he commands us not to think that he came to destroy, now look at this, the law or the teachings of God or the prophets. Now remember that Moses is a prophet, ladies and gentlemen. So he did not come to destroy Moses. And people today teach that he came to destroy the law of Moses or the Torah of Moses, which is really the law of God. The reason why it's called the law of Moses is because God gave it to him. It's identified with Moses. And again, I please implore you and encourage you to listen to my three-part Bible study, which begins with the Bible study of Is the Law of Moses Nailed to the Cross? And then the second one is What is Sin? The third one is One Law. It should be really Tor. One Tor for all of mankind. The reason why I say law, most people are familiar with the, the King James Version, and the Torah, which is, really means the teachings of God, was translated law, was translated into the English word law. But that word law really should mean Torah, the Torah of God. There's one Torah, a teaching for all of mankind. There's not one teaching for the Jews and one teaching for Gentiles. That is a big lie that's being taught. And they were, they were even being taught that in the, in the first century. And that was one of the reasons why Jesus came to say, hey, this is not just a Jewish show or, or the 12 tribes of Israel show. It's for the entire world. My teachings are for the entire world, and they benefit the entire world. It just doesn't benefit the 12 tribes of Israel or the Jews. That's what he tried to, to, uh, to teach, and he got persecuted because of that. And, of course, his followers, in particular Paul, because God gave him a specific mission to reach out to the Gentiles, he was severely persecuted because of that. Okay, and this 
great servant of God, Yeshua Messiah, stated in John 4, verse 22. Actually, let me go to Matthew 5 again. I got to read the rest of this. Matthew 5, verse uh, 17 states, uh, Think not that I have come to destroy the law of the prophets, but I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill, to complete our understanding on how to keep it, to be that ultimate example in John 14, verse 6. That's what he came to do, to show us how to keep the teachings of God, not to destroy it. Verse 18, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot of one tittle shall no wise pass from the Torah, till all be fulfilled. Okay, now everything has not been fulfilled, and that's including up into the new heaven and new earth being created. That has not happened yet. So the law is still in effect. Verse 19, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. And the Bible indicates that the righteousness of God will be everlasting anyway, So, which is the commandments. Verse 19, Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least commandments, shall and shall teach men so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So if you want to teach that the Sabbath is done away with, then if you do make it in God's kingdom, you're going to be called the least. Because many people think the Sabbath commandment is the least, but it's not. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So verse 19 really breaks it down. He wants you to keep his commandments, the, one that you can't, uh, the ones that you can keep. And the Sabbath... Anyone can keep, basically. It means the Sabbath commandment is a twofold commandment. First, you work six days a week, and then because you work, you can properly rest on the seventh day. Uh, doctors have stated that people need to rest at least one day during the week, and it is a great sin for anyone to desire, a boss to desire his employees to work every day and not rest. I mean, that, that's ridiculous. That person is going to be put in the hospital eventually. <laughs> But anyway, John 4, verse 22. John 4, verse 22. Every, every, every human being needs at least one day off from doing the, the regular work that they usually do during the week. It's a great injustice to their body and mind and life for them not to be able to rest. John 4, verse 22 states this. You worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Okay? So that means that the Jews' teachings or interpretations of the Bible you should refer to first. Not to say that everything that they teach is accurate either. I mean, they have some errors, but I found through my own personal experience a lot of what they teach is accurate. And that's, that's what Jesus Christ meant in regards to salvation is of the Jews. We know what we worship because he's a Jew himself. Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse 1. States this. It says, Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The disciples and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, or the Jews today, which are the rabbis, they sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, observe and do, but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not, for they bind heavy burdens and grievous to the bore, etc. So what he's saying is that the proper way to understand this is if they actually do what Moses did, and, and they're going by the teachings of Moses, obey what they tell you, even today. But if they don't, don't obey them. And that's just common sense. If a rabbi tells you to go kill somebody, you're not going to do it, right? Okay, and that's not what Moses would, would tell you to do, just sporadically kill somebody for no reason. That's, a, that's, a, that's an example, all right? And Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, I respect the rabbis today, but when they start tell, uh, trying to teach me that there's a Noahide law, 
where the Gentiles only keep seven commandments, and but the Jews keep all 613, or or all, there's more commandments for the Jews to keep. I don't listen to that because that's not true. That's not backed up by Scripture. So that that's what Jesus is talking about. Don't don't go by if if they're not sitting in Moses' seat. In other words, if they're not doing what Moses would do, then don't obey them. Uh, there's a scripture in, in the book of Acts that states we ought to obey God rather than men. And that's when that applies because they were taken to the Sanhedrin, and and uh, the Sanhedrin said, "Hey, I, we we told you not to go around and and preach about Jesus." And they said, "Well, hey, we ought to obey God rather than men." So that applies there. Uh, Romans chapter three. Romans chapter three, beginning in verse one. What advantage has the Jews? So in all the Bible, it tells us only one type of human race has an advantage, and that's the Jew. Romans 3, verse 1, What advantage then has the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision, their way of, the ritual of, of you becoming a Jew? It says, Much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Okay, so they have a special ability that really no one else has, obviously, according to the Bible, uh, initially anyway. Uh, you can gain that through uh, becoming a believer of Yeshua Messiah, since he is a Jew as well, and then he gives you his intelligence, his his knowledge, his uh, way of thinking. And then that's when you'll start to also have that advantage because of him. But anyway, in verse 3, For what if some did not believe, shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. So he's saying, what if some did not believe, and there's many of them that don't believe. He's saying, hey, that's not going to make a difference. They still have that advantage. You have to use the teachings of the, what is called the New Testament, it really should be called the, Renewed Covenant, or the Apostolic Scriptures. Use that as your guideline. Also use the Torah to make sure that what the rabbis are teaching you are accurate. And that's what I do. All right. Now, we understand, and he stated, the, the real Jesus Christ, his, his frame of mind, he felt and still feels today the salvations of the Jews. He also feels that he did not come to destroy the law. Now, another significant scripture in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 2, starting in verse uh, 27, he stated this. He said, the Sabbath was made for man, not just the Jews, for man. That means mankind, and not mankind for the Sabbath. So, in Mark 2, verse 27, our Lord and Savior reveals that the Sabbath was made for, for all of mankind, not just for the Jews. I mean... It may come as a shock to you, but uh, that's the truth. That's out of your own Bible. Mark 2, verse 27. Again, Mark chapter 2, verse 27. If you're not familiar with that scripture, please get familiar with it. That You can answer it. Someone say, well, the Sabbath is just for the Jews, or the Jews who only keep it. Well, Mark 2, verse 27. Christ didn't think that way. He didn't think that way. All right, so let's let's understand the truth of the Bible here, and, and, and let's... Pay attention to what the scriptures state, not some what some pretty minister tells you or some handsome minister with a suit. All right, Mark two verse twenty seven. Now also he states that we should build treasure in heaven, not on the earth. That's the way he thinks today. Luke chapter twelve. And if if I need more time, I'm going to do this uh, complete this Bible study next week because it's very important. I'll just let you know about that. I don't, I don't want to rush this because we all need to learn how to think like Christ. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 33. 
says, sell that you have and give alms. Alms is, of course, gifts to the poor, gifts to those who need it. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So he wants his followers to be considerate of other people and their needs and help them if you have the possessions to give to them. That's what he wants to do. That's, that's practicing real religion, okay? And pure religion, according to the Bible, is the following. In James chapter 1, James chapter 1, starting in verse 27, states this, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. In other words, to help people that are afflicted. And to keep himself unspotted from the world. How do you do that? By keeping the teachings of God, keeping the law of God, keeping the Shabbat, keeping the holy days, keeping as many laws as you can keep. Okay? Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 21. The gospel, the good news of, of the Lord is very simple for those who want to accept truth. Mark 10, verse 21. Just believe what the Bible says. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing you lack, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven. So the reason why I'm quoting this is to help you to understand that having treasure in heaven means to give to the poor. Give to people who are less fortunate to you. That's how you build treasure in heaven. That's what our life should be about, helping people. Whether you give something to them uh, that is intangible or tangible. And I mean by intangible, like each and every week. I'm not rich, and most of God's servants aren't rich, his true servants. But what I give every week at no cost is biblical knowledge. That's how I'm building treasure in heaven, by giving biblical knowledge. I spend a lot of time preparing these Bible studies. And I do know what, what God states is that uh, some people who want to contribute to this work of God, feel free to do so. But I'm not going to just totally blast emails and, and advertise every week about it I, because I follow the example of Paul. Paul worked, and so do I. But, you know, it would be nice to, to receive contributions uh, for this ministry. It's a very important ministry, and I'm trying to reach as many people as I can. And if anybody has, has it in their heart to help out, please do so. Uh, read my article, uh, Tithes and Offerings, on my website to, to understand how to give. And, and uh, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at the true biblical understanding on how to do it. It's not oppressive at all. You give what you can. God doesn't want you to, to mortgage your home and to, to cause financial hardship to, to help a true believer of God. Anyway, that's another Bible study in itself. Anyway, uh, Christ also thought, or still thinks today, that your life does not consist of the things that you possess. And this is something that people think success is what you have. No, success is what you do, ladies and gentlemen. It's not what you have. In Luke chapter uh, 12, verse 15. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 15. says, Take heed... And beware of covetousness or, you know, lusting for things that, that don't belong to you. 
For a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. It's a very important uh, scripture to understand, and this is the way he thinks today, ladies and gentlemen, and that's the way you will think if you have his mind. And, of course, uh, if you want to, later on, uh, read the rest of this, because he talks about the parable of the rich fool. And also Christ continues to think today, as he did in the first century, love your enemies and become complete or perfect like the Father in heaven. I, I get, I, I talk to people and say, well, we're not supposed to be perfect. Blah, 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 blah. Well, what does he say? What, what does God say? Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 44. Matthew chapter 5. Got to always go by what he says, not what someone else says. Okay, starting in verse 43. It says, You have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy. That's what they were saying back then, verse 44. But I say unto you, love your enemies. And that means exactly what it says, ladies and gentlemen. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. We all need to work on this. <laughs> and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Verse 45, that you may be, and if we do this, we will be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good. So in other words, he provides food for the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Verse 46, for if you love them which love you, what reward have you? So if you just love people that love you, then what good is it? I mean, that's not really very impressive to God. It says, do not even the publicans do the same or the tax collectors? Verse 47. And if you salute your brethren only, your people within your, 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 your family, like many people do today, they only care about people in their immediate family, don't care about people outside their family. It says, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Also, verse 48, but be ye therefore complete or perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. That is the goal, ladies and gentlemen. We must imitate God. Back in Ephesians 5, verse 1. This is what this is all about. It's not about us. It's not about us creating a law that, that we want to keep. It's about obeying God and imitating Him and being like Him, as Ephesians 5, verse 1 states. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 starting in verse 52, states in Jesus, increase in wisdom, so we should increase in wisdom, and stature and in favor with God and man. Okay? So that means that uh, many people favored him, but unfortunately, as I quoted the scripture to you in John 7, verse 7, the whole world hated him too. So there, there were some people who liked him, but there was quite a few people that did not, ladies and gentlemen. First uh, John chapter 2, and still don't today. First John chapter 2, verse 6. First John chapter 2, verse 6 states this. It says, He that says he abides in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. Now, if we go above this here in verse 3, it states, Hereby we do know that we know him, it's talking about God and Yeshua Messiah, if we keep his commandments. Verse 4, He that says I know him and keeps not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Verse 5, And who is the truth? Yeshua Messiah, the word of God. And what does the truth consist of? the teachings of God. He's the living Torah. Verse 5, But whosoever keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected or completed. Hereby know that we are in him. 
He that says he abides in him ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. Now, how did he walk? Well, he kept the Sabbath. He kept the holy days. He did all of those things. Uh, in First Peter chapter 2, verse 21 states that he is our example. First Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For even unto, even hereto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Now, this is in the context of uh, being persecuted, but this can apply to everything. He, he, we sh he is our ultimate example. We should imitate him. All right? In Galatians 2, verse 6. Many people just don't understand this. Hopefully I'll make it clear to you today and perhaps next week if I don't get this done here. Galatians chapter 2, verse 6 states, Okay. Looks like I'm misquoting here again. I hate when I do this. I think I already quoted the scripture. Yeah, Galatians 2, verse 20, right? Uh, John 15, verse 10. Sorry about that. John 15, verse 10. How much time I have left here? Uh, 14 minutes. John 15, verse 10. It says, If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And he's talking about his direct commandments that he got from the Father. They're not any different than the Father's. And many people try to state that that's the case, but that's not true. Now, in 1 John chapter 5, because he did not come to destroy the Torah, as I proved to you. He even tells you that if you, keep, if you teach uh, one of the least of the commandments, and you, you, te don't keep, uh, you teach uh, that you should not keep the least of the commandments, then you'll be least in the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying. But you don't want to even take the chance <laughs> of not being in the kingdom of God, though. So, First uh, John chapter five. First John chapter five, starting in verse three, it says, "For this is the love of God. What is the love of God? That we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. That is the love of God." And then, if you want a, a flat definition of what love is, I know many people have written books about it, but it's pretty simple if you just use the Bible and find out for yourself. In Romans chapter thirteen. Romans chapter 13, starting in verse 10. Romans 13, verse 10, states, Love works no ill to his neighbor, colon, contained a thought. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the Torah, of the teachings of God. In other words, doing the teachings, putting into action the teachings of God. That's what love is. All right? And how much time do I have left here? Uh, Twelve minutes, okay. Now, I want you to understand something. Yeshua, or Jesus, is called the last Adam. Now, Adam means mankind. Adam was the first man, and he is, a, is symbolic of the entire human race. And so is uh, Yeshua. First uh, Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 45. And so it is written... The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. All right? The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. So this is a dichotomy here. You have on one side 
the physical Adam that was that was created perfect but made himself imperfect by sinning. And then you have on the other side, draw a straight line through, picture this in your mind, you have the perfect Adam, which never sinned, that sacrifices life for all of mankind so that we could continue to do, uh, so we can continue the path that Adam, the first Adam, should have um, executed or completed. And this, the second, the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. All right? So for Yeshua to be an Adam, the last Adam, he represents what mankind should do, and he represents what mankind should be. John 14, verse 6, he's the way, the life. He is the last Adam, the last Adam kept the Shabbat and the holy days in the first century. He's still doing that today. Verified by Hebrews 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he represents mankind the way mankind should be and the way mankind should act. We should also imitate the last Adam. Okay, again, let me underscore this. Jesus Christ is the last Adam. He's an example of how mankind should act and live. And how did Jesus act and live in the first century? He kept the Shabbat. He kept the holy days. Let's turn to Luke chapter... Uh, I think it's uh, Luke chapter uh, 4. Okay. Luke 4, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Shabbat day or Sabbath day and stood up for to read. So that was his custom was to do that, to, to go and um, keep the Sabbath and go to a Jewish synagogue. He didn't work on the Shabbat, and he's still doing that today. He's still doing that today, ladies and gentlemen. So we have to understand that Christ was, uh, he fully observed the law, and he expects his followers to do that today, and he expects us to even have his mind. And if you have his mind, you will do what he's doing, and which he's still keeping the Sabbath and the holy days today, as I, as I want to stress. So we must understand those things, and we must understand that um, that that's what it means to have the mind of Christ. That's what it means to have the mind of Christ. Okay. And he did keep his Father's commandments, which includes keeping the Shabbat and the Holy Days. And he expects us to do the same thing. Uh, Genesis 2, verse 2. For those who are wondering whether or not God did uh, rest on the Sabbath, Genesis 2, verse 2 states this. It says, And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. Verse 3. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified or set it apart, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. And again, Yeshua Messiah stated in Mark 2, verse 27, that the Sabbath was created for all of mankind. It wasn't just created for the Jews, ladies and gentlemen. All right, so let's understand that. All the holy days are listed, including the Shabbat, are listed in Leviticus chapter 23, that each and every one will be keeping, if you want eternal life. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 23. 
Isaiah chapter 66, verse 23. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Shabbat to another, or Sabbath, shall all flesh, all of mankind, all of mankind, will come to worship before me, says the Lord. Okay, we have a dichotomy situation again here, uh, comparing one one aspect to an, a different aspect. All right, so verse 24 states that all of mankind will be keeping the Shabbat, and from a new, new moon to another, let me explain, uh, the Jews, <clears throat> they used to observe the the little sliver of the new moon to be able to tell when to keep the holy days. All right, in particular, to be able to tell what would be the uh, the, sec- uh, the uh, religious new year, which usually happens around the time of springtime. They would look at the, the small sliver, uh, the slight sliver of the new moon, to be able to tell when uh, the start of the new year. And also they would have to fi- uh, make sure that they find um, barley, that is of Eve, and that's another Bible study in itself. Once they find those two elements, then they can tell when the start of the new, the first month of the new year begins, the true new year, which happens in the spring. I'm trying to break it down as, as much as I can. But once they find that out, they're able to, to be able to find out when the rest of the holy days will begin. They can ca- successfully calculate that. So that's what that means. It says one new moon to another, and then also the new moon day is not a Shabbat, but it, it still is a day of celebration. So the new moons have something to do with keeping the holy days. So it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Shabbat to another shall all flesh or mankind come to worship before me, says the Lord. Now here's a dichotomy situation, verse 24. And they shall go forth and look upon the bodies or carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me, for their worm shall not die, not them, but their worm, the worms that's going to be eating their bodies. They're not going to die because it's going to be obviously quite a few bodies that they're going to be eating, dead bodies there. Neither shall their fire be quenched, because throughout the millennium, obviously, and I did talk about that, um, the 1,000-year the, the rule of Christ and the saints, what's going to happen during that period of time. Uh, it says, Neither shall their fire be quenched, because they're going to be busy burning up bodies, and they shall be an abhorrence unto all flesh. So either you get with the program, ladies and gentlemen, and keep the laws of God, or that's verse 24, is you're going to be one of those bodies being burnt up, unfortunately. So that's that's the that's the uh, moral to that story, or those two scriptures basically when you combine them. So hopefully that'll motivate you to to really take seriously here uh, obeying God's commandments here because God is not playing. He, he's he's tired of people acting like all you have to do is just believe, 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 but don't want to do what He tells you to do. See, and, and that's not <laughs> that is not something that God approves of that attitude. John 5, verse 19, Then then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son of Man can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For what things whatsoever he doeth, these also does the Son likewise. So the Son copies the Father. And we need, and we need to copy Yeshua and copy the Father. That's what we need to do. So I, I just wanted to show that scripture to you. And uh, we must follow the Messiah. It uh, looks like I'm going to have to finish up on, on this next week because there are some other significant scriptures that I must quote for you to get the full picture. 
But we must follow the Messiah, ladies and gentlemen. That's the only way any of us are going to obtain eternal life, immortality. If we think we can get into the kingdom some other way, we're not going to get there. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 24. It says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So that, that's what we're going to have to do, ladies and gentlemen. We have to deny ourselves and take up his cross, which, you know, the cross is symbolic of suffering, and follow me. That's what we have to do. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 34, states the following. And when he had called the, the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Again, you have to follow him. If you don't follow him, then you're, you're a pretender. Mark chapter 10, verse 21. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lack, and I'm just using this example again, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and then shall you have treasure in heaven, and come, take up your cross, and follow me. So following him involves taking up your cross, in other words, being willing to endure suffering, even the type of suffering he went to, if necessary, and also building treasure in heaven, which is caring about the poor, uh, the poor meaning people who need your help, people who need your help. We should do that, ladies and gentlemen. That is a part of practicing pure religion. And with that, may God bless and keep you, and I'll speak to you next week, and I'll finish up on this Bible study on having the mind of Christ. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer a hand clapper a high fiver I kind of like the high five but if you want to hone in on those winning moves check out Chumba Casino at ChumbaCasino.com choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes there are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses so don't wait start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com no purchase necessary BGW void prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus